Hello, friends, and welcome to Backstory. I'm your host, Alex Roberts. Today we have Whitney Delaglio on the program, a game designer and illustrator whose new game, Prism, is all about merfolk, dead gods, and cozy relationships. And you all know how I feel about coziness in my games. Let's jump right in. for a while before that right yeah um art was mainly my thing and writing was more of a hobby but I was like I had this idea for a while since like college and it was like slowly evolving and I was like I want to do something with this so I kept like throwing things at the wall and hope and seeing if it would stick I'm like I'm gonna make it into a comic book or I'm gonna make it into a video game and then uh, my uncle's like, why don't you make it into a role, uh, tabletop role-playing game? I'm like, I've never played one of those, but how hard can it be? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I need to go back in time. I'm like, harder than you think, Whitney, harder than you think. <laughs> so. Yep. That, so that's interesting. I didn't know that role-playing games were like a relatively recent thing for you. Um, what Can I ask what your first one was? I started playing like in 2012 or 13, I think. And my first one was Besom, which is Big Eye, Small Mouth, which is a D6 game. Uh, and that was exciting because we actually did the campaign from beginning, middle and end. So I was like, wow, a whole campaign. This is great. And then after that, we played um, 3.5 D&D. And I was like, oh, this is also great. But there's so much crunch and I can't do math. So this is this is, this is good for the role playing aspect, for the math aspect. I'm like, uh, addition, bonuses, penalties, what? I, it was great because we were playing weekly, but it was also not so great because our uh, dungeon master was usually drunk so i had no idea what was going on at the time but it was great i mean it was good it was a good time i loved being a paladin we had a really good run but um that just started the the um trend of not ever finishing campaigns unless it was a one shot so but uh 2013 or 14 i got introduced to the um indie gaming community via uh google plus and i met abby and she's like you should come to double exposure i'm like what's that <laughs> and then it was and then yeah after that i started my indie gaming journey i think my first indie game was uh I want to say, was it Dungeon World or Lady Blackbird? I don't remember. I feel bad because I don't remember what my first indie game was. It was I know it was probably D6, but that's really new. Probably. That's, that's not, yeah. That's a safe bet. Yeah, I can't remember what my first indie game was, but it was exciting. And then I um, uh, started LARPing a few years or after that, and I was like, oh, wow. I mean, Yeah, this is your life now. now. Like, kind of once, once you're that deep in, like, good luck. But of course, now I can't get my local friends to play the indie stuff. So it's like going to the double exposure games, uh, cons and um, hangouts are like my only like indie reprieve. <laughs> yeah, that happens. This is a very familiar refrain of like, here are the games that I love. And then here are the games that I am okay with, but that I actually get to play every week. So, you know, we make compromises. So you were you were mentioning that Prism was just kind of a formless idea before it was a game idea, and I know that it existed uh, as a comic. This it it was something that you had at least fleshed out a little bit. Was that something that was in preparation for putting the game together, or was it uh, a t- just a totally separate kind of project with the idea? Well, I originally wanted to like make it into a video game, like a, a JRPG kind of thing. This is before I, I, I went through the, the um, uh, tabletop angle because I had no experience with tabletop games whatsoever. So I'm like, I'm going to make a video game because I know video games, but I don't really have the plot fleshed out. So I'm going to try making a webcomic. How hard can that be? Again, <laughs> that I, I would regret those words. 
So I was like, okay, I have this much of the plot written down. So I'm going to start drawing the comic book. But it was kind of hard because like, since my style has to be so perfect, I could not pump out pages very quickly. I'm often really lazy when it comes to background. So I'm like, I don't know where these characters are, but they're here and that's good enough, right? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so there's a lot of concepts in the comic book that aren't necessarily in the finished game because that was when I was kind of like stumbling around figuring out what I wanted to do. Because I had an idea, like, I want a game with these ki- kind of characters and polytheism, and it'll be great. <laughs> and that was before I got, and, and once I got to the indie community, like, oh, it's going to be about, you know, romantic relationships and emotional safety and other stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting that this idea has been hanging out with you for so many years, because then you you can kind of track the other things that you were interested, you know, that based on what has like glommed onto this, this fiction, like this fictional world Um, and like what your priorities were in terms of like storytelling and everything. Um, It, it is funny that you mentioned the video game thing, because as I was reading the comic or the, the parts of it that you have on your website, I was like, man, this really feels like, a JRPG that I would have played like just the way that it kind of sets up this like, (laughs) like, and I, and I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe something about like the way that it talks about like the creation of the world or something about this sort of amnesiac character. Like it's not just little like tropes. It's, I don't know. It's a mood of it or something. I mean, is that something that you really want to deliberately keep even into the tabletop form or is that just, that's what you like, so that's what's there. Well, that's what I liked, and that's what I was familiar with because I like JRPGs and I like spooky, scary um, games, which are usually also um, Japanese, like Fatal Frame and whatnot, where it's like angry ghosts. But I, but it also, um, when I was working on the comic book and doing the character development, I was listening to JRPG music a lot, and I was like, oh, this song reminds me of this happening, and because a lot of my creativity is fueled by me listening to the same song over and over. <laughs> You are not the first person to say that, you know? So at the time I was listening to the Final Fantasy IX soundtrack when I was working on the um, comic book. That was my first one. So I, I have I have nostalgic love for it. Yeah, it's it's a good one. But we should talk a little bit about Prism uh, for the audience's benefit. Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> so they know what we're talking about. This is your your game that is about merfolk. What are some interesting ways, though, that it kind of diverges from how mermaids are usually represented in like contemporary fiction? Well, in this world, they can uh, kind of like clap on, clap off their legs. So there's not like, you know, some contract or whatever. They can, you know, have legs or fins or what have you. And there's no like, you know, luring sailors to their death and eating people or, you know, princes breaking their hearts and stuff like that. And each kind of merfolk has their own like some personality, like typical for personality. Of course, there's gonna be like exceptions like the shark mer people or like a very, you know, um, polite and well-spoken and the sea mammal ones are kind of like, I like cuddling and singing and all the fun stuff. And I, and I feel like the barb fish basically like the cancer zodiac. (laughs) 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 And of course they're like the people that live on land, like the chameleons, which are um, like sparkly white people, uh, uh, folk that mimic elements. So they're kind of like the, the cantrip spell casting people. And then there's the plant folk who are like fancy pants and the, weed folk they're like do you even lift bro <laughs> <Like that. laughs> the the structure of the game is interesting because there's this like kind of traditional like here are your skills and here are the difficulties to do certain things structure but then also there's this totally unique um relationship mechanic um w- was it important for you or why was it important for you to like keep the balance of both of those kind of aspects of tabletop gaming. 
Well, um, the skill thing was more um, me playing a lot of D&D before I got into the indie scene. And I would constantly get frustrated about like, okay, I'm going to put all my ranks in diplomacy. So I'm going to be like, so diplomatic, man. So I'm like, I'm going to, you know, tell this blackguard that he's being an asshole. I'm going to roll diplomacy and I roll a one. Like, well, all those ranks in diplomacy just kind of got flushed on the toilet. That's fantastic. (laughs) Um, And I realize in real life, sometimes you're going to drop the ball, even though you're the best at X, Y, Z, but it still kind of sucks. You're kind of like, you know, shackled to a dice roll. So I wanted to create a game where um, it's less about chance and more about you, it, whether you can do the thing or not. Like, do you have the experience to do this thing? Yes. Okay, then you do it. And with the relationship, that kind of like evolved over time because at first the um, game was just positive relationships because that's all, that's all I that's all I wanted. But um, as I went through play tests, there were people like, you know, I kind of want to be like in a negative relationship because, you know, those happen in real life. I'm like, oh, I guess so. So I added those, but then they had no mechanical benefits. Some people were like, well, I want to be in a negative relationship, but not if it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to like think really, really hard and be like, okay, if I'm in this kind of relationship, what kind of bonus would I get? And then I want to make sure that you can shift because like, you know, I have plenty of friends where I'm like, I've loved you since the dawn of time, but today you made me angry. So for the rest of the day, I'm angry at you, but to tomorrow we're cool. (laughs) I wanted to create about, and also I wanted to um, create like relationship evolution, positive relationship to a negative relationship with like neutral being in the middle. And I was um, struggling with this one relationship type because it went two characters can feel differently about each other. So it's like, person a can be like i love person b and person b can be like i want nothing to do with person a yeah (laughs) so that's um, real that's so real yeah so person a can be like it's um the bonus would be that it it can never get preoccupied because they're so dedicated to making that person you know pay attention to them but they're also taking uh twice the amount of emotional damage so I'm like, that seems kind of broken. But then a friend was like, no, because you, eventually you're going to have to deal with all that that baggage or you're going to have to, you know, look in the mirror and realize that this relationship is unhealthy and you need to move on. And you could do that. You can be like, you know what? This relationship is dead to me. I'm, I'm canceling it. And then the relationship is gone and you can like uh, and make new ones or do whatever the heck you want. So that's what I wanted to do. Now, were there any other games that were influencing the way that you thought about relationships at the table as you were designing prison? Um, There wasn't really a game in particular. It was more me. And that is like my favorite thing to do in a game is be in relationships with other characters. So it was more, so it was kind of like more of those uh, making a game that I want to play kind of things. Cause like, cause like there are a lot of games where you can be in a relationship, like, you know, um, like anything powered by the apocalypse most of the time is of course um and then i was in a relationship with a character in one of the 3.5 campaigns Mm -hmm. and so it was me like wanting to make a game where you are in a relationship and that has mechanical benefits but uh, and encourages role play not being like okay we're married and then we're never going to discuss that in character ever again (laughs) yeah (laughs) i would like avoid that yeah yeah or like we can be married if we want but like there's nothing that like it doesn't it doesn't make a difference as far as the game is like the game is not aware that we're in a relationship basically right yeah um and to what extent do you feel like you've really succeeded at that at making relationships sort of tangible and and consequential in in game well mostly by including the mechanics since each relationship type has a mechanic attached to it and also it encourages um different interactions at the table because if, you know, I'm friends with you in game, I'm going to be like, okay, friend, how should we solve this problem together kind of thing? Because we have this bonus that helps us do this thing together. So let's do it together. <laughs> or in, if people are in bad relationships, it encourages them to scream at each other while everyone like contemplates touching the X card because it's gotten a little too intense. <laughs> <laughs> so it has an impact. That's, I can see you as the play tester, like nodding, nodding and being like, good, proceed, proceed. <laughs> You know, speaking of playtesting, you were talking about the way you were talking about playtesting earlier, you were saying like, 
I put this in, but then people really wanted this. So I made it like this, but then people wanted this instead. Did you find it challenging to balance what you wanted to put out there and what people wanted from your game when you were doing playtesting? It was hard at first, but that's because it was my first time playtesting a game. So I didn't really know how to uh, playtest. So like my first playtest, I ran out of the room crying because I got like um, feedback overload and I had, like, had no idea what to do with it. So um, after a couple of um, con attendees calmed me down, I went into the hotel room and hunkered down and like went through all the feedback. I'm like, okay, what is good? What is bad? And I had my uh, person that I usually, that I um, would call throughout this process that's been with the project since day one. Like, okay, person who's known this game forever, what do you think about this idea and whatnot? And then I spent the, um, the rest of the day just like writing notes on the rules, like things like change this to that and change this to this. But like as I um, play test after play test, I would just basically take in all the feedback and write it down and then decide what is, is valid to um, making the game better and what that I can just put aside and say, that's good feedback, but it's not the feedback that is good for the game at this moment in time. So, um, mm -hmm. and of course, and also there was like feedback that I would get repeti like re repeatedly. I'm like, okay, obviously I haven't, quite hit the mark yet because i'm still getting the same feedback or feedback that didn't apply until like three updates to the game later like oh i remember when that person said i should do that because because originally it, it was a it, it wasn't a diceless game and people were like you should just have skills like no i don't want skills i want stats like <laughs> and then you roll but then like several uh, iterations later i'm like oh i'm gonna just do just skills that person was right <laughs> <laughs> but you but you had to wait until the right moment right and you had to wait to kind of figure it out yourself yeah something I'm thinking about a lot is like having design goals and knowing in advance what kind of experience you want to create and I think that feeds into the decisions around what feedback you incorporate and which feedback you kind of set aside how how decided were you and how early did you decide and how much did you revise the kind of experience that you knew that you wanted to create? Well, I've been working on the game for, well, I mean, I finished it, like, I think, like, the end of last year, beginning of this year, so. Oh, wait, no, I didn't, because, oh, my gosh, this is 2019. My goodness. Yeah, so I finished it, like, late um, 2017, early 2018. And then um, there was like the layout process and whatnot and, and um, proofreading. I'll, yeah. So 2018 is when I finished and I started like working on it like in 2012. So it's been, it's been, it's been updated like quite a few times. Of course I would take, you know, brain breaks. So I wouldn't set everything on fire and walk away. <laughs> um, but I mean, there are a lot of things that um, I mean, there are some things that I would get feedback on that um, were, you know, you know, great and made the, um, game all the better but then there's like feedback like for instance there's a um a class in the game called or not a class of vocation uh, or profession rather uh called the brawler and they're, they're kind of like the you know the you know, the i i solve my problems with my fist character um and people are like well why do you have that character in a game where you're not supposed to solve your problems with combat i'm like well because a i want to do both <laughs> Hashtag why not both? Because like, when I play Powered by the Apocalypse, I want to be the faceless. Like I'm in love with this guy, and I'm going to protect him by forcibly removing this other guy's spine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I feel like a lot of the feedback I would throw out or keep were dependent on what kind of experience I would want to have while playing the game. So I want a game that doesn't promote violence but doesn't like like it, it doesn't like completely dissuade, uh, dissuade you from doing it either so you're it's not like you're not being a murder hobo but if you, you know if you're like <laughs> like i want to say like passionate murder <laughs> emotional murder i don't know murder um, for a purpose like, yes <laughs> yeah murder for a purpose it, like i want everything you do to have a purpose and i wanted every interaction to have several solutions to it and I wanted to encourage role play instead of hunkering down and figuring out whether you could do the thing or not. And I wanted to support meaningful 
but safe emotional interactions between um, players. Now that that last one is really interesting. Do um do people give you a hard time when you just put it out there that your game involves in character intimacy? Um, I don't think I've gotten any any crap for having that kind of content. But then again, the only people I've really spoke to are people who are like, oh yeah, I love that kind of stuff in the game. So <laughs> that's good. Keep your keep your game in that kind of environment where people aren't gonna be like, but how do you make it not bad? I mean, in a non-panicked way. Like obviously there's the legitimate question of how do you make it so that people like creepos can't creep with your game. But um I don't know, people have a very wide and kind of interesting set of reactions to, not that I'm speaking from personal experience or anything, uh, to like games that are about intimacy. Like that's something that can really throw people off in a way that doesn't seem to when we're talking about games that are about violence. Yeah, um, I actually, um, uh, a guest, or not a guest, uh, someone sitting in, in a intimacy panel like a year or two ago at Metatopia mentioned that where they're kind of like af- afraid of intimate games because they don't want to seem like a, a creep because there are creeps. But I guess that's why I kind of like made it in the, the intro to the rules, like explaining like the ground rules of being intimate in the game in a, in a, in a conversational way, because I really hate when games, uh, when I read a game and it feels like the words are forming a soapbox for the, per, the designer to stand upon and wag their finger at me. And I'm like, but I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm sorry. <laughs> So I, I tried to conversationally say this is a game about intimacy, but blah, 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 enthusiastic consent, blah, 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 and stuff like that. So, Right. There's this concept of like, the, I think it's called the tea party at the beginning of the rules where it's just, I, I don't know, how would you describe the tea party? Uh, the tea party is kind of like a triad of concepts including um character uh, explaining character gen obviously because it's the, it's the character gen and the plot generation uh, portion of the game so the the players and the G- and the game master can all talk to uh, talk to each other and decide what they want to do but it also makes sure to address the need for player expectation comfort levels and um, consent so first you go over what, what do people want from the game? Like, do you want to like, oh, we're going to solve the mystery of the, um, of the dead so-and-so, or we're going to uh, find a cure for the punishment, or we're going to, you know, help our friend who uh, got lost during adventure. So they don't, um, so they can come back alive uh, or help a ghost uh, find peace. And then uh, do uh, comfort levels. Okay. Um, I'm okay talking about the dead, but, but as long as it's not dead animals, or um, I'm okay with intimacy as long as it's not sexual. And then um, there we go, you go over consent. So basically um, so, uh, not, not so much consent immediately, but like, you know, that if you go, you know, going throughout the game and you're like, I know I said I'm okay with this, but now I'm not so much or saying that, Oh no, I didn't or, or, or vice versa. Because I mean, I didn't actually mention this in the rules because that would kind of like be a huge tangent, but I kind of wanted to make the conversation kind of like, you know, building a sandwich where it's like, I know I said I was okay with tomatoes in the sandwich, but today I'm not. Is that okay if we take tomatoes out of the sandwich? Or I really loving all this, um, uh, insert condiment here in the sandwich. <laughs> I kind of want to add some more. <laughs> I said yes to mustard, but now I'm saying like, hell yes. Like, can you give me that spicy mustard? (laughs) All that mustard. (laughs) (laughs) On both sides of the bread. (laughs) I like the sandwich metaphor. Can I steal that? Can I use that in conversation? You, you, you can, you can. I give you permission. Most of my metaphors have to do with food. Food is very relatable. Like we all eat food, you know, we can all think of that. We can all think of hungry times and good meals (laughs) that we've eaten. (laughs) Whitney, how, how is a good role-playing game like a sandwich? I'm trying to explore new and exciting questions here on the here on the show. How is a good role playing game like a sandwich? Well, I mean, okay. See, here's here's the problem because it's like, and this is why you need character expectation because 
So I was playing this game where there was this book I really liked, but it required player buy-in. And the people at the table were okay with it, but I'm thinking to myself, if I want to play this character again and people don't want to buy into that, then I automatically cannot eat the sandwich that I wanted to eat. Like we all have to agree on like what kind of sandwich everyone's eating at the table, right? So if if a character if anything requires buy-in, everyone has to buy into that sandwich ahead of time. You're right. And it's like, it's like, we're all eating this. We're all playing the same game. We're all eating the same sandwich. So it's not like I can be like, oh, I'm just going to put some, some spinach in my sandwich and it's fine. Like, no, we're all playing the game. If you're going to put, if you're going to put spinach in the sandwich, we all need to be down. Okay. With that. Yeah. And then there's a lot of times where it's like, you could have a, like, you're like, you are like, okay, can we add this spicy, um, spicy um spice to the sandwich and another player could be like yeah that's okay sure and you're like are you okay because i like it really spicy and they're like yeah it's fine or whatever and then like a couple sessions later like you didn't tell me it was gonna be this spicy like i told you like five times it's gonna be this spicy what it's not i'm not i did not lie to you i told you i liked it spicy and you said you're okay with it and it's not even like it's it's not even at that point it's not even like an enthusiastic consent thing it's more like i told you and you and you you know we didn't have the you chose to not have the conversation with me in the in um at the get-go and then i feel awkward because i made you eat a a spicy sandwich that you didn't want to eat (laughs) yeah and we can stop eating it now but like we've already you know we already have we've already begun so there is like yeah and and i like that you point out that it it is very incumbent upon us designers and certainly us as GMs, if it's a GM game and on all of us as players to introduce that conversation and to be willing to listen to people, give people ample opportunity to, to speak about what they are cool and not cool with, but it is, it's also incumbent upon us as players to say what we are not cool with, um, which can suck sometimes. Like, Sometimes it really sucks when you're the person at the table who's like, God, oh, everybody else, I do not find that funny. And that bums me out a lot. I'm sorry. We need to take this in a different direction. Like, that's never fun. But yeah, it is on us. But there are a lot of times where it's a sandwich and it like turns out really good. Like, you can be like mulling over the menu, like for a couple of days before you, uh, on the website, before you go to the restaurant and order your sandwich. You're like, okay, this is the kind of sandwich I want. Are you okay with that? Like, yeah, sure. We, since we, you know, discussed it ahead of time, then you go to the restaurant and you make the sandwich and you eat it together and you're like, oh, this sandwich was so much better than I thought it was going to be. Like I thought it was going to taste like this, but it ended up tasting like that. And it was so amazing. And you're like, Oh man, we should order this another, they should order the same sandwich another time. Or, um, (laughs) (laughs) sandwich metaphors. That's true. Yeah. And it's very easy to get caught up in, in getting our games just right. And the things that can and totally do go wrong, but but you're right. Yeah. The other thing about like talking about stuff in advance and getting everybody's, you know, buy-in with whatever is happening is that you do get to have those awesome, wonderful moments where you're like, oh, wow, this is so amazing. And I'm, I can be at ease because I know that everybody is uh, enjoying this sandwich as much as I am. It is the most delicious. So you're working on Prism. Uh, the, the PDF has just come out. Uh, I think you're are you fulfilling the uh, the physical version soon? Trying to. <laughs> Printing is so annoying. I'm waiting to hear back from the printer. And of course, it's like the post-holiday backlog everyone's dealing with. So I, I'm, I'm trying to exercise patience. But at the same time, I'm like, it's just taking a lot longer than I wanted it to. And I just want it to be over. Ugh. But I mean, I feel like if, th- if this book wasn't so colorific as I made it, I probably I might have not had as many problems as I did down the road. But at the same time, it's like, but it looks so pretty. So I don't care. <laughs> and yeah, you stick to stick to your guns. Yeah, but I, actually, I, th- I think the, the bigger problem is that and, and what I've been told by uh, veteran uh game designers is that print uh, large print runs are usually a um, easier to get it the quality you want than a small print run but i'm like i'm just i'm just making this one game by myself i'm not gonna order like a thousand copies yeah yeah with with your first game like you don't want to go totally nuts i completely get that and uh, and it is it's such a visual 
game. Like the game text, um, game texts can be kind of texty in my experience. A lot of, a lot of words in them. And I think that that can be kind of intimidating. Um, is there, there's so much being explained visually in Prism. I mean, is that just because you love to draw pretty pictures or is there, um, is there some other priorities that are being on display there? Oh, well, um, yes, it's obvious. It, it, I mean, one of the reasons is because I like to draw, but also I did want the artwork to tell part of the story or at least um, kind of like visually convey the tone. Whereas uh, people are um, comfortable with their sexuality and being sexy and it's not, you know, frowned upon in any way, shape or form because everyone in the game um, uh, welcomes it. And I um, tried to also include artwork that um, where characters are emo uh, emotionally vulnerable as well, because that is, again, another um, tone in the game. But also just because um, I know it's not the, like the, the, the wordiest of rule books. And I just wanted to make sure there's like plenty of artwork um, because I didn't want to be like, I, I just, I was, uh, no one wants a wall of text. Like I made a joke with a friend where it's like, I actually kind of glad I don't play D and D much anymore because I'm always too lazy to look anything up in the rules. And I usually ask someone else to do it for me. So I was like very glad to, even with the artwork that uh, the book wasn't, terribly huge so if i ever need to reference anything even as the designer i'd be like oh this is only like 48 pages so i'm like and it's here the thing i was looking for is right here it was so easy to find and it's not a, a lot to read and there are pretty pictures to look at so yeah and and not just sort of incidental illustrations either like the um i i can't remember the name of your the other illustrator that you worked with who who does those um the illustrations at the end that kind of show like here are the skill like challenges like example illustrations uh, what, what was her name maria smith maria smith i i i love all of your artwork throughout and then at the end there's like her sort of cute little like very expressive indications of like uh of all of the different skills and what might be hard so like you know, like blowing out a candle versus like putting out a, a forest fire, you know, and and all of the skills, in, like the variations in between. Those are very helpful illustrations and like actually a much more expedient method of getting that knowledge into my brain than a long list of like, I don't know, of doing that numerically or with words, I guess. At least it, it works better for me. I don't know. Have you have you heard that from anyone else about just things being explained pictorially and that kind of working better for them. Yeah. I've, I've heard it from other people and that makes me happy because I, I wanted to do that from the get go, but I was like, I was thinking about it like at the back of my head. I'm like, I'm way too late to draw all that. I'm like, I have a friend who could do that lickety split though. So I was really excited to work with Marie because I know her style would be perfect for what I was looking for because I was originally going to do that for all the skills, but I'm like, it's, um, but then they were like, we couldn't really, think about any uh, we, uh let me start over we thought about doing examples for all the skills but we thought that that would get kind of like like um not convoluted but kind of, it's kind of like watery because it's like what's a typical diplomacy versus a, a simple one like uh i don't know uh so we decided to um focus on the ones that are less um action-based and more like um this uh, spell casting and the treating which you would want an example for because it's like a hard uh, if, if if someone like um asked me like okay what is like an easy middle and hard um task for strength it'd be like okay like an easy would be like moving a moving box like medium would be moving furniture and hard would be like moving a giant boulder so it's like i can i i can pretty um easily do a easy medium and hard for like a, a, t a task like that but like with like elemental magic or fixing a boo-boo it's like uh what is an uh t a tough spell casting um task and what is a uh typical task of treating someone's boo-boo so we thought those would be the best ones to focus on 
Yeah. Yeah. To bring her in that has, that, I don't know, her art has like a different focus. I, I really like the, the character designs for all the different kind of merfolk because it does have this unity of like your very unique art style, but also, I don't know, all of, all of the differences in them are so subtle. Like, it's not just like, one kind of fish with a person face, different kind of fish with a person face. Like they all seem to be like a little sort of, I don't know, even their like expressiveness is different. Is there, is there anything else that those like different types are based on? Like, you know, you mentioned about how one of them is basically just like the cancer of the astrological system, but like, I don't know, is there, is there another system that they're like analogous to, or are they just based on like, the types of peeps you meet in real life or um i mean it was mostly just supposed to reflect the type of character they would be uh, typically in the game with uh, exceptions of course because i was thinking at the artwork as i was talking which is not a good idea because i'm like i'm thinking about artwork and i'm also talking at the same time and i, I obviously can't do that uh <laughs> <laughs> like what is the artwork let me remember <laughs> um so like i wanted all the vocation and uh background it was not background excuse me um template and family artwork to be pinups so i um, would draw the pose and then i have i would decide which character um, would best fit this pose and i I discussed this a little bit in the, the intimacy panel but I wanted to make sure that all their expressions were, um, you know, happy, positive expressions. But I wanted to make each one a little uh, more, not more different, a little uh, with differences to them. Like I didn't want every like face to be like, I'm happy face number one, happy face number two, happy face yeah. number three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that's very exciting. Um, I, I'm wondering, I mean, I know it's kind of like one thing at a time, but is there something else that's on the horizon for you when it comes to games or, or totally outside of games? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, you seem so sure. Well, not, not right now. I know after I'm finished fulfilling Prism, I'm probably going to take a break from personal projects. I mean, of course, you know, everything is subject to change, but at this moment in time, I, my brain hamster definitely wants a break. So I'm probably going to focus more on working on other games for other people, like doing the artwork and, and sometimes writing for them. Like I um, am, uh, I just submitted this month my work for the artwork in My Jam, which is a LARP by Jeff and Eric. I am super excited about because it was one of the best bestest larpiest experiences i've had in the larp and and that and, and a side note um my experiences in larp actually influenced prism a lot because especially with the emotional safety because there's nothing worse than having a really good emotional experience coming out of it and feeling weird afterward and having not, and not being able to process that so always subject subject to change but i mean prism was basically the thing i or wanted to do for years so there i mean there were other projects i was, I was like casually working on but none of them really stuck so they like kind of like fell to the wayside you know permanently because prism was the most important i'm like i'm i want to put everything into this game because if i by chance only make one game i want to make sure it's one i'm happy with so I, all my attention design wise went to that. So I think it was worth it. Yeah. How happy are you with it right now? I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy and I'm, I'm excited for people to play it and to find out what people think of it and for it to be out in the world and for everyone to see it in book form. And because, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of, in my experience, I might be completely wrong. There's just not a lot of games that have like um, aquatic themes in it there. And there are, I, so I really just wanted to make a game that is aquatic, encourages safe intimacy and, and, and emotional subjects. 
and isn't a super long read so you can like jump right into it and start playing and start world building with everyone at the table and not having to have like seven supplement books (laughs) (laughs) so i think i think i did what i wanted so that's all i can ask for can we circle back a tiny bit to how larp influenced prism i'm i'm very curious about what what kind of things you were taking from live action play and what kind of things you weren't um, when you were working on your own design for tabletop? Well, I know with tabletop games, the safety tools usually people talk about are like the, the um, X card, obviously. And then like the pause, rewind and forward. I I forgot what that one was called and like the flower thing. But with, um, LARP, it seems to be more of a discussion. It seems to be a lot more of a discussion. So I wanted to add, incorporate that into the game uh, because I, I I did mention the X card in the game, but I feel like that's more of like a, a, a visual tool to me where it's like, okay, the X card's here. So I know that um, I'm in a group of people where my emotional well-being is more important than the game. So I don't necessarily need it there to tap. I just need it there to be like, I know that I'm going to be safe in this environment and everything else, all the other content in the rules um, is just more of a conversational thing. Just to be, So it's always in the back of your head. Um, so, you're, you're, so you're thinking about other people at the table, but you're also thinking about your own safety as well, emotional safety rather. And with LARPs, I know, um, again, with me... <laughs> wanting to be in relationships and in 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 games i kind of like doomed myself into experiencing a lot of bleed after um a few larps and i would um take you know breaks and go back in and take take breaks and, and go back in so i want so i wanted to incorporate the good feeling about being in a relationship in a game but i wanted to avoid the the not so good feelings after the fact and yeah, the overwhelming feeling and just, and, 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 which is, um, and that goes back to, you know, going uh, the sandwich thing where it's like, are you okay with um, this sandwich being, you know, v- you know, very intense because if you're not, then th- that's okay with me or, um, and you can both decide that, um, you're you're still okay with it all the way through or you can be like okay i'm full let's stop Ugh, larps larps are pickled mistress <laughs> <laughs> not that you're speaking from experience or anything no but i know that there are there that that, that like good experiences in larps is possible and it, and also you know I mean, a lot of it is, is preparing, preparing yourself. And um, when I first started LARPing, I wasn't prepared because I never LARPed before. So I had no idea what I was getting into. So it was kind of like a, you know, a, a growing, like gradually knowing like what my boundaries are and, and knowing what's a good idea to play for me and what's not a good idea to play for me. And that's why I make it very obvious in Tea Party. Like, this is, this is the kind of game it's going to be, but I want it to be the conversation at the table. Like, what are we okay with so no one feels sad and upset at the end? Because that's not what, that's not what I, no, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, I mean, I, I can't speak for other people, but that's not what I want. And at the, at the end of the game, I want everyone to be, you know, feeling, feeling good. So. Well, final final question really about Prism. Um, it's a it's a one to five player game. I'm assuming that's like one player plus GM. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it a two player game, which are my favorite kind of two player game. Yeah, a lot of my favorite set, uh, play tests were one on one games because it's like the the intimacy level is just so much more intense when it's yeah. just the yeah. two of you and. Um, with that version, obviously, um, you'd be in a relationship with an NPC. But, like, one of my favorite um, one-on-one sessions is, well, one was when, um, and, and going, again, going, like, murdering with a purpose was when a character set another character on fire. That's because <laughs> it was hilarious. Because <laughs> I wasn't anticipating it. Because they were like, can I set them on fire? I'm like, um, okay, I don't see why not. It's nothing in the rules that say you can't set someone on fire. <laughs> 
But um, more seriously is when, um, and again, this is kind of like I'm reviewing the, the menu ahead of time where I was like, um, so we're going to be in a, in a relationship. Is it okay if my character turns out to be deceased? And, and they were like, okay, sure, that's fine. And so we played through the game and then it turns out because um, in the game, there are spirits that haven't um, found peace yet. And there's one called the, um, the Wraith and they're kind of like the, um, the people that uh, they're, 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 they haven't found peace because they want to help other people find, find their peace first. So it turns out her significant other had died a while ago, but, um, they weren't sure if their significant other was ready, so they wanted to wait until they knew that they could um, that, that that they were you know right ready for the truth and ready to you know fend for themselves and ended up being like really really uh, beautiful moment. But uh, I love I, I I would like I that's like my favorite is like running it like you know like two player three player four player is fine but like one on one is like my favorite way mm-hmm. to run the game. Um, was that something that you really wanted to deliberately design for? Like, I want to make a one-on-one game or is that something that just, as you were making the game, you were like, oh, you know, this would work with just one player. Um, yeah, it was, it was more that I was, uh, it just happened to be, um, one-on-one because I, I want to say it was actually due to me having to run it with just one person and be like, yeah, I can do this or me or just me just saying hey i mean like in a relationship thing it, i say it can be with an npc so technically this can be played one-on-one because i didn't want the group of people to be huge because like i've played like a power by apocalypse game like i think it was like five six or seven people like yeah this group is way too big and like in D it's obviously a problem because especially when people take a long time to take their moves because it's like okay i'm gonna be like you know i'm gonna leave the room and come back because it's not gonna be my turn yeah (laughs) um so i wanted to make it a game where the group of uh, people is small because if it's a game about um relationships you don't want to have the group too big because then no one's gonna get the good the right amount of of spotlight but um i've also just gotten really used to running um other games with the not right amount of people like i ran lady blackbird where i was i think i was like two out of three characters so I wanted to create a flexible game where it's like if someone doesn't know if, 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 if like you invite four friends and only one shows up, we can't be like, oh, it's canceled. It'd be like, no, we can still play. It's okay. Because <laughs> hangout games get canceled so often. Yeah, that kind of flexibility is lovely. And that sucks when you're really like dependent. This is why this is why you make like low player count, low prep games is like if you can actually, you know, in your adult life, make time for play. It's like I made time. I want to play. Darn it. Yeah, yeah. There, there's like nothing. I, I think of like Ron Burgundy crying in the in telephone booth every time a game gets canceled because I'm like, I put time aside for this to escape my real life. Don't take it away from me. Play is beautiful. Dang it. <laughs> well, Whitney, it's lovely having you on the show. Thank you so much. Um, if people are interested either in prism or just in general what you are up to um where's the place that they should go to find out more um they can go to twitter uh where it, it my handle is at whittle dragon or they can find me oh wait, google plus is gone <laughs> um they can find me on my website littlewishproductions.com uh they can find me at double exposure conventions and uh I have no idea how searching on DriveThruRPG works. So they could probably find it on DriveThruRPG. It's soon because um, I, I'll eventually be making the PDF um, public and then I'll be um, offering print-on-demand like well after fulfillment um, because I want to make sure the people who backed get their copies first. But those are currently mm-hmm. the best ways to find out what I'm up to. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. Good chatting with you. This is lovely. Yeah. Um. You you may return to your your regularly scheduled Sunday, not up to much. Well, I hope you enjoy your not up too much. And are are you gonna be at Dreamation? No, sadly, no. it's it's too far away at this point. I know, I know. And right now, I'm like 
that's the right decision. But then when it's actually happening, I'm going to be like, I'm going to have to take a social media sabbatical. I haven't missed a dreamation since I first started going like four years ago or something. Like I've always gone. So yeah, give everyone there my hellos. Everyone just, I don't know, hold a memorial of Alex. <laughs> R.I.P. Well, I saw I saw a, a a not a giant Jenga set, but like a a like a I'll say extra large because it wasn't like the child size once. And I thought of you. <laughs> Aw, yay! <laughs> Are you thinking of giant Starcrossed like Mecha Kaiju? Oh well, well, more, I just wanted to see what it would be like to, be, to play tension with like the the child size, <laughs> the child size block. What like how would you how would like like because you I, you have to like you know keep in contact with the with the um the tower. I was like I'm just like slowly caressing this giant brick <laughs> 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 while making like heavy eye contact. I'm like that'd be so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but then someone was really worried that there would be like you know because you're like you know you're spending so much time on each other that if the tower fell, someone might actually get hurt. And I was like, yeah, that's good. It's quite possible, actually. Yeah, you could really, at least, you know, wear closed-toed shoes is what I would say. Maybe, like, <laughs> my protection. <laughs> I don't know. again to Whitney for joining me and as always thank you for listening. If you enjoy Backstory, consider leaving us a rating or a review in your podcasting application. It helps new people find the show and it makes me feel terrific. If you have thoughts on the show, you can always email backstorypodcast at gmail.com or tweet at backstorycast. Backstory is hosted by me, Alex Roberts, and produced by the talented Alex Sisk. We're proud to be part of the One Shot Podcast Network. You can go to oneshotpodcast.com for more great shows like Character Creation Cast. Character Creation Cast is a discussion podcast where Amelia Antrim and Ryan Bolter create characters in multiple RPGs with prominent guests from the game's community. Each month, Character Creation Cast examines the character generation process in depth for a different game with new guests each series. They always take the time to reflect on the game and its design and what guests have to say about it. Think of it as sitting in on a great session zero every week. I've been interviewed by Amelia and Ryan, and let me tell you, they're good. It's very fun. Again, that's oneshotpodcast.com. Music for Backstory is provided by Ujiko. The track is called Thinking of You, and you can find more by searching U-J-I-C-O on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever else you get your chill beats. Talk to you later, friends. Thank you.